they don't want to tell their parents. They don't want people to know. They're ashamed of what's happened and they're being controlled. You know, in those cases, those offenders are threatening to redistribute the imagery if they don't continue to produce. And that's what you would think is sextortion or you would define as sextortion. Definitely sextortion. Now, if you're a parent or you're just someone who knows and cares about the safety of children, you will definitely want to take a listen as John Sheehan, Senior Vice President at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, joins the podcast. We examine the different online tactics that predators are now using to sexually exploit children in today's digital world. And I even go way personal and share a recent story of being sexually exploited online myself. So... Let's do it. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beat Head pulled down over your eyes Every part of you wants to surrender John, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. The honor is all mine. I appreciate you taking the time to cover this topic and to, to dive into child safety as a whole. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, I think it's one of the like a huge underlying issue that just doesn't, you know, peak in the in the media as a as an entirety crisis, right? I mean, so to, to start, the National Institute for Missing and Exploited Children, I guess it is sort of self-explanatory, a little bit in the name right there, right? Um, but, uh, you know, can you open up a little bit more for us and give us some insight into the the specifics, maybe behind like the early beginnings to where you guys are as an organization, fast forward till today? Yeah, absolutely. So the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, often referred to as NECMEC, just because it's a NECMEC. long, long title. Yeah. Uh, we were created in 1984. So the organization has been uh, established and around for, for quite some time. And we were born out of, of uh, a national tragedy. There was a young boy in 1981 by the name of Adam Walsh, who was abducted from a local shopping mall. His parents, John and Reve Walsh, who are our founders, um, you know, they uh, were, were searching in, in vain for, for their son after that abduction. They were working with local law enforcement, mobilizing the local community. Yeah. They literally were printing posters and flyers out of their garage, all in an effort to find Adam. And a, a short while later, about 10 days later, it was discovered not only had Adam uh, been abducted, but he was also brutally murdered. And the Walshes, they channeled that pain, that anguish of losing their son, and they became child advocates. They never wanted another child to go through what Adam went through, another family to have to experience uh, what they went through. And so they came to, to Washington, D.C., and they were looking for that national organization that was focused on missing and exploited children's issues, only to find that it didn't exist. There wasn't one. And in the 80s, uh, you'll often, uh, if you hear John Walsh speak, he'll talk about how it was easier to find a stolen horse or a stolen car 
than it was to find a stolen child. So they really oh, wow. uh, began an effort to change that. They wanted a national movement. Ultimately, it led to the creation of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. You know, our organization, we are here to help reunite families with missing children. We want to reduce child sexual exploitation, and we want to prevent child victimization. We've grown to an organization of over 400 people. Our headquarters is in Alexandria, Virginia, where most of the staff are. Mm. But we also have offices in New York and Florida and Texas, remote employees all around the United States. And our, our, our efforts really are uh, helping to protect children. Yeah, I'm sure law, enforce, law enforcement has come a long way as well since since then, too, because I'm thinking, I mean, 10 days, it was 10 days from the time his uh, Adam was abducted to where when he was found. It was. And they absolutely law enforcement has come leaps and bounds from where we were in the 80s. Um, you know, what was most, I think, devastating to the Walsh's what they discovered is that during that 10 day period, neighboring counties and jurisdictions didn't even know that Adam was missing. So there was a lot of lessons that could be learned, a lot of best practices that could be implemented from uh, scenarios like that. And, you know, certainly uh, very excited to say that the world we live in now, law enforcement are interconnected. If a child goes missing, that information is quickly entered into the FBI's NCIC terminals so that all jurisdictions would know that a child is missing. Uh, and we obviously are here to assist law enforcement and those families with that uh, reunification, identifying those missing children and the such. So, yeah, uh, the world is very, very different from yeah, the 80s. Yeah. And we are thankful, I think, that having an organization like NECMEC, as well as those efforts within the law enforcement community. Yeah, and thankfully, too, the... Um the Amber Alert 2 system kind of getting in there as well, because that that would provide some some immediate help, at least, and some immediate awareness, which I guess sometimes is the most important thing at those times. That 10-day that period, too, I think it's just, it's easy to, like, just go from the start, from what happened to how it ended. And that 10-day period as a parent has got to be just absolutely grueling and including from law enforcement perspective, too. I mean, 10 days, I mean, you're you're you know, time is of the essence as soon as that happens. And um, I mean, what it, could you give us a little bit of insight into, you know, when a child goes missing, what is that immediate process like? I know you touched on it a little bit. And really, what would you uh, mean by that? Mm -hmm. Sure. Great questions. And so when a child goes missing, uh, one of the first things that you would have someone at NECMAC uh, re recommending to, uh, to anyone who has custody of a child, missing child, uh, is to make that report to law enforcement so the child can be entered into the NCIC uh, uh, terminal, the computer. So it doesn't matter where law enforcement is in the United States, they would be aware that there is in fact a missing child. You'd be surprised how many of, 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 of missing children, whether it's abduction or endangered runaways, that it is through a routine traffic stop running names and they realize, oh yes, that was a missing child. Um, so that's step one, of course, is making sure law enforcement is aware of the situation. After that, you know, um, uh, custodial parents, law enforcement, sometimes social services, what they're doing is they're going to call into our toll-free hotline, 1-800-THE-LOST. Uh, it's 1-800-843-5678. That is staffed 24-7, 365. We always have someone there answering the phones. In fact, 23 years ago, when I began my career at NECMEC, I was in the call center and I was there helping to take that information from parents when they're in their darkest hours in taking that information. Oh, wow. We are also taking leads and sightings through that call center. 
but really what we want to do is get that information related to the missing child, uh, intake it so that we can have a case manager who would be assigned to assisting that family, start building out posters and flyers in the local community, working with law enforcement on ways to identify that child. We obviously have a large social media presence where we can geolocate areas to make sure uh, awareness is not just where the child went missing, but maybe where they are suspected to be. You know, our largest proportion of cases involving missing children often involve endangered runaways. So they may have gone missing in a certain, uh, let's say, city and state, but that may not be where they were headed or traveling to. So we want to target those those different areas. Um, and in certain circumstances, um, uh, we also have a team, a rapid deployment team, that could actually go out and assist law enforcement as necessary uh, on specific types of cases. So we really want to get the information intaked in. We, we work with those families to help identify and, and, and reunite them with their missing children. You know, you mentioned that 10-day period that the Walshes went through. And that was absolutely excruciating, that 10-day period and beyond. Um, you know, here at the center, we are well aware of the emotional toll that it can take on families when they're going through this type of experience. And we created um, uh, what we call Team Hope. They are volunteers that are individuals who have either experienced a missing child or a sexually exploited child, those types of mm -hmm. incident and cases. And they are there to provide peer support uh, to, to families who are going through these types of experiences, making sure they understand they're not alone. Because in, in some cases, instances, of course, law enforcement are, are doing what they need to do. NECMEC is here to help law enforcement, but we also want to spend time helping the families as well. And that's just one area that we're able to partner, pair them up with people that have gone through that lived experience and are there to be a support system, answer questions, kind of walk them through that process a, a, a little bit. So we, we've got a lot of different areas where we're trying to help families when it comes into to reuniting children. Um, you also asked about exploited children. You know, here at the center, we focus very specifically on child sexual exploitation. So since 1984, we've been uh, both dealing with missing and sexually exploited children. It was in 1998 that we launched our cyber tip line. And while we were always dealing with the topic, we realized, you know, late 90s, the internet was exploding. It was really uh, changing the world, if you will. We needed to have a centralized location where individuals anywhere in the world, not just here in the US, but anywhere in the world could report suspected child sexual exploitation. So we deal with child sexual abuse material, images, videos, mm. often referred to and uh, federally codified as child pornography here in the United States. Huge problem, we, huge problem we, now. Yep, huge problem. We have, uh, I'd say on a weekly basis now, if you fast forward today, we are receiving anywhere from 80 to 100,000 reports into our cyber tip line regarding suspected child sexual exploitation. Wow. Most of that is regarding uh, child sexual abuse material, those images and videos. But we also deal with real life situations like uh, child sexual molestation. We deal with child sex trafficking, as well as the online enticement of children uh, for sexual acts. So the entire gamut of child sexual exploitation, we have a team dedicated uh, into handling that type of information too. Yeah, you guys definitely have your work cut out for you um, because I it just it's such a widespread issue and the the magnitude to kind of put that in perspective a little bit. I had just done a simple Google search yesterday, right? I typed in child exploitation, and what came up 
was, I mean, it was, it was astounding. I was surprised, but I also wasn't surprised because I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of the results that came up right away, which all took place yesterday. Each one of these articles, this took place just in one day, which was yesterday, which was, there was a case from Iowa about a 43 year old man who was charged for having thousands of photos and videos of child porn. There was another case out from Columbus, Georgia for possession of child porn Another case from uh, Salt Lake City, which involved a fire captain being arrested for distributing child porn. Five people were busted in, in an exploitation ring in Georgia. Uh, another one was busted in Missouri for recording girls changing in a bathroom. Go to, over to South Carolina, a man received 12 counts. He was charged with 12 counts of sexually exploiting a minor with the use of cameras. And then up to North Carolina, its neighbor, with a peeping Tom who was arrested for installing cameras in his bathroom to record people changing. And then lastly, into Kansas as an athletic trainer at Blue Valley High School in Kansas was charged with coercing a child to engage in sexual activity. So, and that was all just yesterday. Like, that's not things that, like, you know, accumulated. That was just stories that took place yesterday, which was astounding because that's only eight cases happened in one single day across seven different states and also involving people that also hold moral authority and power in the communities. I mean, a fire captain, an athletic trainer, you know, and I, you know, I, I don't want this to be a sound like a scare tactic for, you know, people. And so, cause I'm not a believer in scare tactics that, that I don't think they work necessarily, but at the same time, just to understand the magnitude of how frequent, how frequently this, this does happen. And now I can imagine you guys at the center, Having to deal, I'm sure a lot of these cases actually might have just filtered into um, from, or you guys have maybe even been working on some of these cases. So, um, just to speak on the the magnitude, I mean, just from my own little uh, little dig in there. Yeah, yeah. So I think you gave great perspective there, and I mentioned that we are averaging right now anywhere from eighty thousand to a hundred thousand reports a day. You know, if I look at last year, we had um, over thirty two million reports that came into the cyber tip line in twenty twenty two. Yep, 2022, 32 million reports, which was an increase from the year before, which was right around 29 million reports. The year before that, it was 21 million reports. So the reporting is going up and up, and a lot of that is tied to a law here in the United States that requires uh, what we call electronic service providers. So companies like Google, Dropbox, uh, Meta, so Facebook and Instagram, all these different providers if they become aware of child sexual abuse material on their platforms, they have to report they it. must report it to the cyber tip line. Many of these companies uh, have a global footprint. You know how many users that they have. Yeah. So to your point on like kind of domestic versus international, what we're seeing, you know, out of those 32 million reports last year, about 90% of those involved individuals outside of the United States. And so I know that our organization's name is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, but really by the nature of our work in this space, we have turned into a global clearinghouse on these types of this information, these types of reports. There are uh, at this point more than 150 countries around the world uh, that are accepting cyber tip line reports from us. We work with those national police forces, you know, here in the U.S., there are 61 Internet Crimes Against Children task force agencies that receive funding from the federal government to specifically investigate these types uh. of cases. So they are receiving reports from the cyber tip line all throughout the day. We do a great deal of, of effort 
into triaging those reports. We're trying to really identify which ones have a critical nature where a child, uh, their life is believed to be an imminent harm. Right, that second. We, yeah. we need to get them to drop everything to work those types of reports all the way down to the ones where um, they need to be more informational. That Maybe someone was resharing an image or video because they were trying to help identify the child or they were expressing outrage. All wrong reasons to reshare this type of, of graphic material. Uh, but we try and deprioritize along the way where we can. You know, through these programs, our team are, are viewing some really graphic material day in and day out. And, yeah. and, and in 1998, we launched the Cyber Tip Line, and it was just a few years later, in 2002, that we established a child victim identification program. It is the National Victim ID Program housed here at NECMAC because we were seeing the same children kind of over and over again in these images. And to be quite honest, for our own mental sanity, we needed to know, are these children out of these abusive situations? Who were these offenders? What happened? What was the sentence? What was involved in all of that? And it just kind of began organically into now yeah. we work with all the different federal agencies, state and local, so that when they are identifying children, they are uh, letting us know. We are cataloging, keeping track of that information. We serve as that pointer system of which children have been identified, which ones we need to dig deeper into where children are still at harm and need to be uh, rescued from this type of abuse. But also through that through that project and that program, we are keeping track of that relationship of who that exploiter was to the child. Uh, and to your point earlier on some of those those arrests, you know, you mentioned a firefighter. We are well aware that the vast majority of individuals who are producing uh, child sexual abuse material, these images and videos, they have legitimate access to the children. So this isn't like stranger mm. danger and fear mongering. The reality yeah. is it's often um, uh, a relative, a, a family member, someone who's in a position of trust, a teacher, a coach, a clergyman, uh, like the firefighter type of piece that you, you thought of or that you mentioned earlier. We are seeing a growing population of, of individuals who are self-producing imagery, whether that's through enticement or what they think is a significant other and redistributing it. Yeah. But the vast majority, well over 75% of child sexual abuse material involving these children where they've been identified by law enforcement, uh, the offender had legitimate access to the children. So that is a, a, an important awareness piece just for parents that they're aware that oftentimes it is a person that's in a position of trust or in that circle um, that, that may be acting upon those uh, thoughts, urges, and abusing children. Why well, I, I thought too when I was looking at that Google search, which was I only I stopped at the end of the first page, by the way, so that probably kept going, but um, I started to notice the pattern of cameras as well, like people like the like I think three or four of them were caught with um, installing cameras in their bathrooms in a locker room or in some some form where these people that were changing children in particular were not aware that they were being recorded as well. So I kind of saw a little rise in that, which was, which I thought was very concerning. Cause at that point, you know, you may think you're safe because you're in a bathroom or in a private setting and you're not, you're not, even though no one's around, you are not. Mm -hmm. And also to, to go back to your number of the, the 32 million reported tip lines last year, I'm still under the impression that, child exploitation especially is a little similar to like like sexual assault where um 
they overlap where I, I think they're both underreported. You know, they don't get reported as much as if it were to get reported 100% of the time. And 32 million, if my impression, that's a ton, but also like it could be underreported as well. People not not saying something, maybe the, the um, it's just within a relationship of somebody who has power over them, like you said, and children may still think it's the normal thing. They don't know any better. So it's underreported. And I mean, that's a, a large number to say it's underreported. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's uh, I do. I do. And I can promise you it is underreported. Mm. So the law here in the United States requires uh, the companies when they become aware of this type of activity that they have to make a report. It does not require the companies to proactively look for anything. And if you really start to break down who's reporting into the cyber tip line, who are the top reporters, there is, uh, I'm going to say a handful of companies. You've got about 10 that really make up the bulk of that 32 million reports. However, there are some really, really um, large hosting providers and companies in the U.S. Um, that are not submitting high volumes of reports. And that's because they're not proactively looking for this type of activity on their site. They're waiting for someone to tell them about it. So numbers would be much, much higher mm. uh, if there were some sort of requirements on companies to, to do more. Uh, and there are some legislations out there in Europe and the United Kingdom that are looking to do exactly that because they know that this is underreported, that there is more activity going on. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, more needs to be done to protect children. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially on a, on a global scale, a lot of companies I know subsidize a lot of their tech work to India as well. You know, so I mean, if there are there's some requirements there, they may require them to also start reporting this stuff, too, which could I mean, India um, is I mean, it has the second highest. No, actually, just I think past China for the highest population in the world. So, I mean, you know, sorry, you go. But when you think of India, uh, and I, I, I just start to break down the number of reports we're receiving, and, and anyone that's interested, if you go to cybertipline.org, you scroll down to the middle of the page, and you're going to see a link uh, that says, by the numbers. It actually breaks down our annual statistics. We haven't published last year, but 2021 is there. And you start to see, the, the out of the 2021, 29 million reports that we had received, who submitted them? And where did they come from? So, because oftentimes That's when important. a company reports, they're going to give us enough information to get that into the hands of law enforcement. They're, they're going to provide the images and videos. They're going to identify, usually it's the screen name or email address that was sharing said content. And they're going to give jurisdictional information. Usually it's in the form of an IP address that was used to upload the content onto um, that platform. And you mentioned India, out of the 29 million reports uh, that came through in that calendar year, India had the highest volume. They had oh, wow, over really? 4 million cyber tip line reports that we made available to the national police forces there. Um, by far the largest proportion. So there, there's a societal issue also taking place. When you have volumes and numbers yeah. that large, there's a whole lot more that needs to be done than just tech companies identifying, removing, and reporting. Those types of numbers, law enforcement cannot arrest their way out of that issue. There needs to be a, a much more holistic approach uh, at trying to tackle this issue in countries like that. Yeah, and you're not, you know, we can't send the FBI over there to start arresting all these, you know, all these folks too. No. Um, that, that that's interesting. Thanks for that on um, on India because I was gonna I was gonna ask you to to get a little bit more even specific. You know, what are some tactics um, that either predators or, or people are using online to tempt kids to bring, you know, to kind of 
throw that anchor in that that hook in them in the digital world in order to start exploiting them. What are you seeing from your inside perspective on this? And also, are you noticing any any patterns in particular? Yeah, no, great questions. And um, really, so predators, those with a sexual interest in children, they're using a variety of techniques and technologies. You know, you mentioned like the hidden cameras, the pinholes. It's not surprising. I mean, now we're at a point uh, where cameras are so tiny, so affordable that they're used in that kind of way. And um, where we are now compared to, let's say, a decade ago, it's much easier to produce a high quality video on your smartphone than yeah. maybe back then you had to use a webcam or you had to use a digital camera. You were lugging around cameras now with, let's say, an iPhone, you can create that video you, and it's high resolution. You can upload that to the internet in just mere minutes. Uh, as far as amassing collections, just think about what the costs of a you know one terabyte storage device now is compared to 10 years ago, right? Now you can buy yeah. thumb drives at that amount. Where and and motion these, cameras too, where motion- yeah, Motion it, cameras, it, yeah. right. And so you're starting to see uh, offenders having much more access to that type of technology, not just here in the US, but all around the world. And as far as how, let's say, the, the newer tips and techniques that uh, offenders are using, they, they certainly are using the different uh, technologies to hide their identity online. They're trying to do that piece. They're learning from one another. Um, they also are um, using the, the capabilities to pose as a minor. So you could have an adult that is posing as you know, a 16, 17-year-old uh, boy or girl and enticing uh, other uh, teenagers, uh, youth, to produce sexually explicit yeah. content. You know, recently we've been kind of tracking cases involving the enticement of children for sexual acts. Historically, the types of cases we were receiving were more of offenders who were specifically targeting young girls. And they wanted mm. um, young females to produce uh, pornographic content really for their sexual gratification. Like they, and they were amassing, storing this. Oftentimes there would be hundreds of victims involved in those types of sextortion cases before one would either go to law enforcement or submit a cyber tip line report. You know, there's one case that stands out to me where it was a mother who became aware of what was going on with her daughter who was producing content. Uh, and there, there literally were hundreds of victims. Nobody had come forward. Mom realized something was off with her daughter, got onto the computer, realized what was happening. Yeah. She made a cyber tip line report. Uh, we got it to the FBI who got involved and there was a huge sentence and, and uh, in involvement in that area. But that cycle of abuse where they, youth, they don't wanna tell their parents. They don't want people to know. They're ashamed of what's happened and they're being controlled. You know, In those cases, yeah. those offenders are threatening to redistribute the imagery if they don't continue to produce And that's what you more. would think is sextortion or you would define yeah. as sextortion. Definitely sextortion. And so one of the newer uh, pieces that we're seeing that still exists. There still are offenders grooming yeah. minors um, for content purposes, and they want more and more and more and more egregious. Uh, but we've also seen it, it uh, morph a little bit now into uh, the financial sextortion. So we, we've uh, seen cases where individuals in countries um, like in Nigeria, the Ivory Coast, the Philippines, where they have created fictitious accounts posing as, uh, let's say, a 16, 17-year-old female, and they're enticing young boys to produce sexually explicit imagery. And so once that young boy 
produces that image, sends it, uh, at that point in time, they've already done their homework. They know the friends yeah. list, the family piece. They threaten to expose that information by sharing it online unless you pay them. And, and oftentimes, they start with exorbitant amounts of money. Uh, you know, $500 is the average wow. that they start asking yeah. for. I don't know about you, but how many 15, 16-year-old boys have $500? And, and so they don't, right? And slowly, they'll bring that money amount down. They'll take any form of payment that you're willing to give. I mean, it is a classic Nigerian scam, and it is becoming organized crime. We started working with some of the technology companies. You know, it, it's really the types of platforms that minors are on, whether it's like Instagram or Snap. That's where these offenders are going. They're trying to find the minors that are there. Um, by identifying some of these profiles that were being used over and over again, these fictitious accounts of the miners, even just sharing some of those profile pictures with the companies, quickly realized that thousands of fictitious accounts in countries like Nigeria, the Ivory Coast, were being created. Yeah. So they were able to take proactive measures to try and disrupt that activity based on some of those signals and indicators that we've shared, because this is a growing, growing issue we know of more than a dozen minors in North America alone who have committed suicide oh, from geez. these financial sextortion cases when they just felt there was no way out. And so we're trying to address this with federal law enforcement, diving into it with the FBI and Homeland Security, not just here in the U.S., but in those types of countries, but then also the tech companies to make sure that they can take steps to identify and thwart it and getting to uh, minors who are in these very vulnerable states, making sure they understand that we're here for them, there are ways to help them get that content removed, and that just because they made that small mistake doesn't mean it has to have a ripple effect for the rest of your life. Yeah, as soon as you had said sextortion, it brought up this thought in my mind, and then as soon as you went to the Philippines, as soon as you said Philippines, it really hit home there because and I, I've been like, um, debating whether to share this or not or whatnot because I, I have a similar similar personal story but i mean I've, I've got you on and you're the you're the expert here i'd love to just see how close of a story this resembles to your average story and also i mean if anyone's listening who could you know this could maybe help someone avoid being in the same predicament that i i had found myself in on this because it's it's not something you you ever want to find yourself in where you're getting sextorted that i used the right in that in the right context here mm -hmm. um because you know and, and i was an adult when this happened i wasn't even a, a a child and this same thing happened and luckily i think i just i had a little bit better circumstances and communication skills than maybe a 15 year old boy has but you know i i had um and to put some context in this as well you know it, the, the frame of mind that people you know victims find themselves in the reasons why they find themselves in so i was about 25 20 no, I was like 26, 27, you know, and I had just moved across the country, um, down to Florida and, uh, just got an apartment, started new job was, I, I didn't even, the only thing I had in my apartment was a, a bed, you know, and I'm in a new city at the time. I remember telling people I knew more people in South Korea than I did in Miami. That's how little people I knew in Miami. So really sure. life-changing event. Um, you're vulnerable at that, at that point, which I want to emphasize the term vulnerability on that because, you know, I'm trying to meet new people and it's, 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 it's tough, you know, when you're in your mid twenties in a brand new city as a guy, you can't just, you know, walk up to a table of girls and go, Hey, my name's Dan, you know, you want to get to know me. Um, so what you do is you take the least risk, which is, you know, go online and, and try to, you know, go on the dating apps and me, 
I'm very careful as well. So I actually went on dating apps and used a, a fake name because I really wanted to make sure like, you know, if anything happens, I still have this as a cover, you know, like they can't Absolutely. find me. Um, so yeah. I actually use that step to um, like a, a shield to protect myself. And um, I started talking to someone on, on a popular app and we start talking, we start talking and um, the conversation quickly turned sexual. It was, it was, a, the conversation was sexually based very quickly and it wasn't me. I, I didn't turn that sexually, which I thought was, odd you know it's a red flag now that i'm thinking back on it and very quickly you know there was a a picture that was sent to me from their behalf which i thought was also odd because i never asked for it you know i don't i'm not one to ask for photos from people because then you then have to reciprocate as well right and i'm not a fan of doing doing either so i thought that was odd as well because you know who who just sends that photo especially from a female perspective you're sending that to a guy but you know, I'm vulnerable. I'm, I'm just trying to meet people. And, um, you know, so to reciprocate for the first time in my life at that point, at the age of about 26, I had reciprocated a photo, right? So, um, I'm really out in new territory, never did it, but you know, I know a lot of people did have done that. I, I felt like I was the only 26 year old who had never bridged that gap yet. Right. So I did definitely a new territory. And, um, you know, 15 minutes went by before I got a response, which was odd because we were really like every 10 seconds, you know, we were responding to each other. So I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. Um, and the next response I received from that person was a was multiple screenshots of all my Facebook friends on my Facebook. It was just a, a screenshots of all my the names of all of them. And they said, Basically, like, I'm going to send these photos you had sent me to all of your Facebook friends if you don't send me $300. And I'm like sh shitting bricks right now because I am being extorted, like sex store. Like you said, I'm shitting bricks. I've And this is my first time I've ever bridged that gap. The first time I'd ever sent a photo like that in my life. And this is what happens. And I'm just thinking to myself... This is exactly why you spent so long not sending these types of pictures because this is what you feared. And now you got it. Now you got it. You know, so I was a little bad at myself, but what are you going to do? Now you have to improvise. And and um, I, you know, what, what are you going to do? Right. I mean, you're going to send the money. So I had went on um, PayPal to send the money and PayPal wouldn't send it because the address was to the Philippines. So PayPal declined it. And I, I couldn't even like speak with them on it. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's not even possible. So I try to go on Western union, the person says, and I go on Western union. I send it, it gets declined. And now the person's like, you know what? I know you're just playing games with me now. I'm just going to, um, I'm going to send these photos out anyway. Cause you're really playing games with me. I'm like, stop. Like, no, I'm like in panic mode. I'm sending it to you. Right. So I, um, Western Union actually calls me when I get the text from my bank to okay it from my bank. My bank then tells Western Union, yeah, you're good to send it. So Western Union calls me on the phone and says, hi, sir. Um, we just want to confirm that you you want to send this money. I say yes. And the next question they ask me is, are you under any duress or are you being forced to send this money in any way? 
And in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. I am. yeah. <laughs> um, but you can't say that because they're not going to send it. And if they don't send it, I could be screwed. It's not going to be the person on the phone, right? So I lie and they ask me, which I think is illegal to ask, why are you sending this money from a financial institution? But they must get the amount of complaints and this must happen all the time that now they have to ask that. So they asked me, why are you sending this money? And I had said, well, you know, my, my cousin's in the hospital, you know, I need to send this money, which is, you know, I mean, I don't have a cousin in the Philippines, you know what I'm sure. saying? Um, so they send the money and the most, if you're listening to this right now, this is the most important to think about when about extortion, right? Cause I learned this the hard way. I sent the money and, um, you know what the next thing they ask me is? It, it, t- take a guess. I want to see your opinion. What the next thing they ask me is for another payment. That that's what we see. Yep. Is they want more. It does yep. not take care of it with one payment. That was exactly it. Three hundred dollars in the Philippines is equivalent to over fifteen grand. By the way, so I just paid that. I just maybe have bought that person a house or a car over there. So I send it, and um, they go, okay. So I swear, if you send me a hundred more dollars, I won't. I won't send it. And at this point, I know the tricks because I've, you know, I, I've, I know the tricks and um, they're now bringing it down. They're bringing it down and, you know, it's never going to end. It will never end until you say no. And I, at that point, I was just like, you know, I made my bed. I did. So I'm envisioning now this guy just sending all these photos, which the top of my mind was the very first screenshot he had sent me. It was um my Facebook friends was from the top. So it's in alphabetical order A to Z. And the first screenshot was basically A through C in the last name. And my ex-girlfriend, her last name started with a C. So I just remember that was the first name that I remember seeing. I just envisioned her, you know, getting these this photo from me. And I was just like, it's going to happen anytime. The amount of family that's about to blow up my phone is going to be insane. It's, it's, my phone is going to be ringing. My aunts, my uncles, my my parents, my brothers, my friends, my cousins, like everybody's going to blow up my phone as soon as they start getting these pictures. And um, the person just said that they wouldn't send them because I did send the payments and, you know, and it, it did it did end there because I ended it there. And I actually got I actually like stayed on the chat, too, because I had said to him you're trying to empathize with them. Like, Hey, like I work for this money, you know, like you're, you're out there doing this to people. I work for this money. What if I didn't have this money? You know, like I, I started saying that cause I was, I was kind of pissed, but I also like, they're doing this for a reason, you know, like from their perspective, they're out there exploiting people online. I mean, did they, did, were they born to do that? No. Did they wake up that one morning and just go, oh, I want to start exploiting people? No, there's a reason they're doing it. I don't know it. So I'm trying to empathize with this person just because that's how you get it to stop. It, mm-hmm. Me calling them like a, a fucking asshole or like all these names, that's not going to get them to stop. Empathizing with them is going to get them to stop. So I, you know, it, it actually the guy and the person apologized. They actually said they're sorry for doing that to me. And, you know, we ended, which was, shocking so i i felt i felt a little bit at ease because i knew that a you know they probably weren't gonna end up sending the photos but you know um a, a silver lining in there in that was you know obviously you learn that you know what never ever ever do that again but also i had not been in my paypal account in years because i'd never used paypal except like in college 
And when I logged in to send the $300 from my PayPal account, there was $300 in there in like as funds that I didn't know was in there. And it must have been apparently like sometime during college, I had um, returned a couple of textbooks and they refunded me, but they refunded it to the PayPal account that I used to buy it. So the the very <laughs> silly silver lining in there was like the $300. It was a wash for me because, you know, I was I never checked the PayPal account. So I actually like transferred that back into my account. But um, a little, you know, trying to just bring the mood back a little bit on that. But yeah, well, I, I appreciate um, you sharing the story because yeah. it, it really helps to resonate. You can certainly understand the the emotional impact that it has on minors that are going through this this scenario and what you've described yeah is exactly what we're seeing every day reports that are coming through related to this um and it was actually and, and would say that these scammers they're not necessarily just as as you share they're not necessarily targeting minors specifically minors are getting wrapped up into this i think they're easy victims easy targets if you if you will you know it was just um 3 or 4 weeks ago i was at a meeting with uh, some of those internet crimes against children task force commanders I mentioned earlier that handle the vast majority of our leads. And it was one of the commanders who was sharing that um, since he does this type of work, focuses in on internet crimes, anytime his like jurisdiction has something involving the internet, well, they call him the internet guy and they ask yeah. him questions. And what he shared was that they're seeing not just more and more of these cases with minors and adults, uh, shockingly enough, he mentioned that one of his fellow uh, co-workers who deal with elderly abuse mm. had approached him because an entire uh, nursing home, it had happened there. It was oh, making its no. way through an entire nursing home where they were creating content and being blackmailed for payments as well. So yeah. these are opportunists just looking for money. And what we've seen from the reports that come in from the tech companies uh, or from minors themselves or parents, oftentimes we're getting the chat logs, those actual discussions that are taking place. Mm. And it's very easy to tell that these people that are involved in this, it is organized crime and they're working off of a playbook. There is a script yep. that they're following basically to entice. Just like you had mentioned earlier, um, they're, they're gonna send you the images first. They're gonna try and bait you to do that type of, of uh, reciprocal image. And, and the moment you do that, that's when everything changes. The, the script flips, if you will. Um, I will tell you, speaking of silver linings, we've been doing a great deal of awareness, uh, both uh, on, on social media and in, in regular uh, types of, of print, uh, to make sure we're educating minors to what we're seeing. Uh, there have been reports coming through where minors are starting to call out the exploiters basically telling them they know this is a con, no, they're not gonna send mm. imagery. And then they report the people to the providers so the providers can shut down those accounts, try and uh, ah, thwart gotcha. this activity. Yeah. And, and as you described, the PayPals, the financial industries, they're onto this too. They are aware of what's happening. We've done briefings, not just with federal law enforcement, not just with like tech companies, but the payment providers too, because everybody has a role in thwarting this. And if we don't do something now, it's only gonna to continue to grow because they realize these small little money amounts, they can make uh, exorbitant amounts. And you know, more often than not, uh, they're not actually posting the images, especially related to the children. They're not going to that extent. I think 
perhaps they're self-aware enough to know that that yeah. is going to bring them trouble. Law enforcement is going to be investigating the dissemination of said material more so than maybe what's a financial crime in, in those areas. Uh, that's not to say that you should or should not um, pay. I'm not going to give any advice around that, yeah. but I will certainly say out of our experience, those that have sent money, it doesn't stop there. It just keeps going. So it's yeah. a really tricky situation. Yeah. And eventually, I mean, like, like I had to call out their bluff. Thankfully I was able yep. to become unemotional and think logically. Cause I, I, I said to the person, send them, I, I have no more money to, to send you, which was an absolute lie. But I was like, I can't send you anymore. So send them like, yeah. and I baited them like, all right, like challenge them. And, and that did work. But like the, um, the equivalent in the real world for how I was too. Like, I don't want, like, was it a stupid decision? Absolutely. But at the same time, if you were to take where I was, put me in the real world, I was basically the person walking down the street with a dog, with pepper spray and with a sidearm on me. And I still got robbed because in the digital world, I used a fake name. I went on a normal app. I got baited. And the reason why he, it, I was found was because, and this is something to remember, because I've seen this on, on apps still to this day, is um, whenever you're on a, an app that you're able to communicate with somebody, right? Like a, like a Tinder or um, like a, that wasn't the app, but like just saying, if you're on a, t a Tinder or a Hinge or anything like that, and somebody says, hey, I'm not really on this app all that much. Let's go to this app and communicate on this app. Because what happened was I was on an app that I know that we could communicate on. The person got me to download a different communication app. I think it was like a kick or something where you put in your real phone number. And from doing that, it brings up some of your actual personal information that that person then used to look me up online. So, you know, when somebody says, let's go on this communication app and, and do it, you know, and chat on here, you could do the same thing on Tinder and on those normal apps that actually have built in um gates and guards for you so like when somebody starts going down that route and talking about payments like that's going to pop up because they have that built in so the people want these people want to lure you away from those apps go on an app that like you know is just a, a breeding ground for this exploitation world and then you're done then you're done because as soon as they have your personal information you're done and um that's something I would I would say. I mean, I was it a bad decision? Yes, but it's at the same time. I mean, who who uses fake names on dating apps? And I still got um exploited on that. So I uh you know, for for parents or somebody watching right now, or literally anybody that knows children and, and cares about their well being, what would you say are some tactics that you would you would say to try to um use with their children because they're not on their phone all the time with their kids what can they do to help stop a little bit from their child being exploited yeah no great question and i really just just want to reemphasize and, and and just appreciate you sharing the that story and being vulnerable with, with that piece because even where you mentioned how quickly they uh, had um had offered and, and talked you into moving to another platform. That is something we see on a regular basis yeah. uh, where, you know, offenders are going to go, we're, we're again, we're moving into like children and tips for parents, you, you know, offenders are going to go where children and teenagers are. If they're seeking them out, that's where they're going to go. doesn't matter if it's uh, an Instagram or a snap or yeah, it's, it's online gaming, you know, they're going to go to those spots. And more often than not, there, there is a request 
to get off platform and go into another service, oftentimes an end-to-end -end encrypted environment. So nobody other than those two individuals mm. who are talking to one another know what's being said, what's being transmitted. There are no company safeguards that can be put in place because it's completely encrypted. And so the dissemination of material or the sharing of videos, that's where that um, takes place. And oftentimes it's going to start, for minors at least, with a much more innocent type of image. If it's a female, maybe it's a topless photo type of image and then quickly just grows from there into very graphic and, and egregious requests. So I think, you know, for, for parents, when you're, you, you know, there are so many different sites, so many different technologies, it's almost impossible to keep up the way that youth are. And, and so while I would always encourage knowing which platforms your children are engaged on what they're using, just also have those conversations about who are they talking to? How are they interacting with, with individuals online? Being cognizant, really, that it's not a matter of kind of if, it's more of when something will go wrong. They will be approached in some way, shape, or form, um, whether it is to produce content or it's to share information about themselves. Yeah. Uh, they will experience bullying, harassment. You know, some of those different sites can be just very toxic the way people talk about one another, again, the bullying, uh, eating disorders, all those things are out there. Now, our world is sexual exploitation. And, and so I would say that having that open line of communication with youth to know that when something goes wrong, they, they need to come to you or another trusted adult or to make a report to somewhere like the cyber tip line. We see so many cases where things go wrong and they're not really that bad. It's so salvageable, but they don't tell anyone and it grows and becomes much more than what it needed to be. And then oftentimes youth, because at that point they're embarrassed, they're ashamed. Yeah. They don't want their parents to know what has happened. So they comply, they continue. And then offenders are gonna end out amassing multiple victims. It just keeps growing. And what we're trying to do is break that cycle of abuse. Someone has to take a stand. Someone has to say something so they can make a report at cybertipline.org. Uh, we have a lot of abilities now to help get content removed from the internet. We do uh, programs where we share digital fingerprints, hash values with the tech company so they can proactively uh, find it and remove it and report to people that are uh, actually transmitting said content. So yeah. there's a lot of great material that's there. You know, if parents are looking for tips and tricks on ways to communicate with their children, um, they can go to missingkids.org. That's our website. We have material that's under what we call our Net Smarts program that has real world stories. It's age appropriate because obviously the way you talk to your teenagers is going to be very different than, let's say, someone who's eight or nine years old just starting to go on the Internet. So we have all of those different pieces. All of that's created. Uh, it's all free resources because we just want to try and help uh, protect our nation's youth. Yeah, NetSmart, it's more of a, like a cartoonish, right? For the cater to the uh, the younger, younger? Yeah, the younger ones, there's more of the cartoons because yeah. that resonates with the younger ones. But when you get older into the to teens, nope, that's going to be more of like real life stories. Mm. So some uh, who have been victims of enticement, they've done some recordings uh, and they'll share those real life experiences and try and reiterate the importance of uh, not just protecting oneself and, and material, but then also reporting in some of those aspects too. And, and there are certainly tips and tricks on interacting with, like I said earlier, the teenagers versus uh, people that are much, much younger in that. All those toolkits, you know, we end out 
really trying to deploy more of a train the trainer model. We're a small organization in the grand scheme of things. We can't be everywhere. So teachers, parents, law enforcement, we share all of this information. So when they are also doing internet and safety education, they can use our content and help to spread that message. Yeah. And it's also, um, like, a uh, that's a good point by the way that, that you made, but it's also, um, important to think too. Like if you're that 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old person, if they were in my position and like you said earlier, if they don't have that money, what else do you have to play? What other card do you have to play? And it's, it's complying. That's your only, yeah. you have two cards comply or face the consequences with your, your parents who, or, or someone else who will probably not like what you did. And, you know, you're just envisioning the consequences. And right now you might not think, okay, it's not that bad, but then you start rolling and rolling and rolling, which I guess is maybe the common theme when you get into when the, somebody eventually gets arrested, like some of those examples earlier where you're talking, they have thousands of material. I mean, thousands, cause that just has grown so much. I mean, that, um, that's, that, that's a good point that you had, uh, made earlier. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of part of what you're saying there, I think as a parent, anyone that's listening that has children or nieces, nephews along those lines, it's being prepared for that conversation when things go wrong. When they when they that minor is coming to you in that vulnerable state, uh, trying your best not to overreact, try to be in that moment, uh, let them know you're going to help them through this because uh, they all fear that yeah, that reaction yeah. and disappointment that they're putting into uh, to, to their, to adults and, and, you know, their, their parents, um, just being prepared, I think for when things go wrong and how you want to respond, uh, I think is really important. It is, you know, and they could take me for example on that too. I mean, I could have reacted to that person who was exploiting me in a, in a harsh way, you know, like you wanted to, and kind of, um, just succumb to those immediate reactions and emotions, but you know, is it functional? Is it functional? Is it practical? Is it going to make yeah. the change that you that y you want? So, um, I just I, I want to thank you for all this, John. It it really does help pull back the curtain a little bit for the you know and showing a little bit of the the atrocious side of the the di digital world that we have to acknowledge is out there right now as real threats. I mean, if we're to compare this to the real world, I mean, yeah. Everyone thinks, you know, it's a child walking to school that's going to, you know, somebody's going to pull over and say, hey, you want to get in? I'll give you some candy and and so forth. In the digital world, I mean, you, you can almost guarantee that your child is going to eventually come across that person on some sort of platform or be approached by them somehow. And if they don't have the the tools, first of all, I guess, to say to be safe, and then also if something happens like you said to just put a cap on it as soon as it uh as soon as it does make a tip and you know go on and and to kind of end it too where exactly can people make tips we could just finalize that one more time and go over it where can people make tips find you guys in case something does happen yeah absolutely so if individuals have information regarding uh, suspected child sexual exploitation you can go online to cybertipline.org and submit a report or if you prefer, you can call our toll-free hotline at 1-800-THE-LOST. Uh, that is staffed 24-7, so 1-800-843-5678. Someone can take all that information and enter it themselves. Uh, we are here to help. We have staff that are on call 24-7, uh, and we really just want to help protect children and, and make a difference. All right. Well, awesome. John, I, I, I can't thank you enough, uh, honestly, for everything you guys do. 
Um, feel free, guys, just go on the website. I have it flashing across the bottom of the screen right now as well to, to go on. Just check it out. Be proactive, not reactive, I would say. That's the that's the best way. You know, you can only – you want to have a plan set in place. So, John, um, and hopefully we'll, we'll catch up uh, down the road then. We definitely will. I appreciate you sharing your story and really helping to enlighten how this can happen to anyone. Most people, this topic, it's not a dinnertime conversation. A lot of folks like to think, not in my backyard, it can never happen to me, it can never happen to my family. But the reality is, just out of the sheer volume of what we're seeing, it absolutely can. So we have to be prepared, we have to talk about this. So I really appreciate you covering this, and we definitely will stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. Male or female, too. It happens to everybody. um, Absolutely. So uh, thank you, John. No problem. Talk to you later. With every star.